Let's stand all over the house this evening, and uh, let's sing together an old hymn of the church, Keep on the Firing Line. Let's worship together.
standing for prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you and we glorify your name tonight. Father, we pray that you would be with us tonight as we get ready, Lord, to uh, Lord, be in your house to worship you as we sing songs of Zion and we, Lord, hear the message that is given tonight. God, let it, Lord, change our hearts and let us be ever indebted and grateful to being in your presence in this house of worship. We will forever give you all the praise and the glory and the honor. Just do your name in Christ Jesus, we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. I mean, will you take the next few moments and greet those around you in the Lord before we jump back into worship. sing one more song of worship before we jump into Bible study for tonight. So let's uh, worship together.
seated in the presence of the Lord tonight. We're going to ask those th this evening leading uh, our Bible study tonight at this time to come. And uh, we'll worship together with the word of the Lord. Break the Bibles out. We'll get it going here. Let's put that over here. Well, we'll get it going again this evening. Thank you for being in the Lord's house. Um, hopefully, when you leave, you'll have something to think about for the week. Um, Before we get started, let me just do this. I'll do this for my sake, if not for yours, just to clear the head. Father, thank you for the privilege of being in your house. Uh, as we get ready to break the bread of life, Lord, we pray that you will help our hearts to be receptive, our heads to be clear, our ears be open, that we might hear what you have to say and our eyes be open to see what you would speak to each of us that we might walk in a closer walk with you. Lord, that this night we might glean from your table food that would allow us to be strong in our walk of faith. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to kind of do the, a little bit of a backup to run, but we're going to talk about the, um, start, we're going to pick up a little bit at the uh, brazen altar, which we talked about for just briefly last week, but we'll, uh, we'll pick up on that tonight and um so tana who's who's run is it him or who's running you are okay would you mind finding the brazen altar for me and it should be a picture and it's got like four horns you know four little pieces sticking out of it or some such but it should be in there somewhere that would be perfect thank you just as a matter of reference for any of you who might be taking notes or you know trying to pay attention to where the Bible said things are. Um, the description of the altar, brazen altar, is found in Exodus, the 27th chapter, and it's the first eight verses. We won't go through all of that, but just so you know where the pattern came from or where the reference came from. And again, we talked about this briefly last week, but we just want to get a, a, a good start on where we're headed tonight. We talked about we've gone through the gate of praise and the first piece of furniture, as the Bible describes it, to the, um, getting to the presence of God, the first thing you hit is the, the brazen altar. And we, we mentioned that. And we talk about how that often in church circles, um, we get it backwards. In other words, wh wh where does altar service usually in most church circles? At the end. Right. And, and to be honest, if you go by the pattern that the Bible lays out, that's the, other, the gate of praise being first. But once you made it into the enclosure, what's the first thing you hit? Anybody ever been in church 
um, with a culture that when they come in, I, I, rem- I will remember this distinctly when we were pastoring in our first church, we had a missionary uh, from, I don't remember where he was from, but he was out of the United States, um, but came, spoke not one word of English, you know, had to have translators, the whole thing. But when they came in, he came, she slipped in and he came to the second row where he was going to sit and he turned around Brother Dennis into his seat, you know, turned around facing the seat and he, he bowed his head to pray. And he, I mean, he didn't make a big, you know, just bowed his head to pray. And when he finished, Brother Randy, he got up and turned around and sat down. What was he doing? What was the point? Yeah, he was making himself ready. Um, and I've never forgotten that way every time I teach this lesson because we get it backwards. Because we come, go through the, you know, the singing and the preaching and all that kind of stuff, and then we go to the altar to make it right or to do whatever we're going to do. But when we talk about coming to the presence of God, that was actually not the right sequencing. The right sequencing was I came with the sacrifice of praise, and we talked about that. But then I hit the brazen altar, which is where we're going to talk about tonight. I got to deal with me and God before I can get to God's presence because I can, God won't allow sin in his presence. So I just found that interesting in the way that the pattern worked. The altar stands in the middle, middle of the court, and we talked about this. When you come through the gate of praise, the first thing you hit is the, the brazen altar, and then, you know, the steps, one follows the other, moving in. And we talked about the fact that the altar speaks to not only my sacrifice, but the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Can't get to God, but how? One way. Somebody said, is your church Jesus only? I said, you bet you only get there through Jesus. Okay, that wasn't exactly what they were asking, but, you know, Jesus only. Um, I can't get to God any other way. And we talked about the fact that um, we come to God, we should come to God, bringing an offering. And we, we had that conversation, um, like when you have a wedding, you know, one of the things the preacher or the pastor will ask is, what token do you bring? You know, what, you know we, we, that's when we hand the ring to the pastor for there to be exchanging of the rings. We talked about not coming to God empty-handed, that an offering was always commanded in the Bible, and that this offering is a reflection of what I bring in response to Jesus' gift to me, i.e., his, his presentation on the cross. How do I return, I don't say return, my thanks for that, if you will. Okay. Um, we talked about that God re- would require that we have a relationship with him. It, it reciprocates. It's not one way, because to be a one-way um, relationship is not appropriate not only from God's perspective but we don't want that we don't, wouldn't want it that way in our world either you know part of um, when the Bible talks about the, how that uh, marriage should be a, a bride and groom marriage should be uh, representative of our relationship with God you don't want a one way one way conversation there if it's all one way we got a problem okay same story where God's concerned The placement of the altar immediately in front of the gate makes it clear that the offering is a principle, a primary principle as we move forward into the presence of God. Somebody's Romans 12, 1 and 2. That would be Miss Beulah. So 
we all know this scripture. This is not foreign to us. But the Bible says that uh, Paul's talking to, to the church at Rome, and he says, I beseech you, or I, I beg of you, or I ask for your attention, if you will, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies as a what kind of sacrifice? Okay, that's odd. Because we just talked about last week that the word sacrifice means a slaughtering place, a place where you, you do away with something. You set something away. How can you be a living sacrifice? Tell me again. Okay, set yourself apart. That would certainly qualify. Taking up your cross. And, and I'm going to buy that, but I want you to take me another step. What does that mean? I'm not churched. So I don't know anything about that. What does that mean? If I'm a living sacrifice and I take up my cross, what, what is that? Put, put that in Monk's Corner language for me. Okay, separating myself, and I will add by saying separating myself for the master or for God's use. Okay, and what was the end of that? Being committed. Committed to whose cause? God's cause. So a living sacrifice means that I live my life every day in such a way that I set aside anything that... It, that's exactly right. I set aside whatever, whatever I'm doing for the purpose of God, for serving God. If I'm not serving God, if what I'm doing doesn't represent my service to God, reciprocated love, then, then where am I? Well, I'm not in right relationship. Does that make sense? Okay. How I treat my other person in this relationship speaks of whether I really find worth in them or not. Remember we talked about worship is what? Worth-ship. So if they're not worth anything to me, I'll, I'll treat them like trash. But if they mean something to me, that's a different story. Okay? So uh, the Bible says that we are to be a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God. And, and the Bible says it is my reasonable service. So when we talk about going to God through the, through the altar, the brazen altar principle, that is not meant to say, ooh, good for me, that makes me special, I'm a wonderful Christian. The Bible says that is a reasonable sacrifice. What does it mean to be a reasonable sacrifice? It's still a sacrifice. Nobody took away. Paul did not take away it was a sacrifice. But he said it's reasonable. What does that mean? That's the least we can do. Yeah, absolutely. Um, all right, so Ms. Tana's got it up there, and, and I hope you can see it. If you've never seen this picture before, it might be a little bit odd to you. This is a representation of what the uh, brazen altar would, look, would have looked like in that day or something close to that. But I don't know if you can tell, but at the four corners at the top, it looks like horns that are turned sort of outward, right? On all four corners. Um, the altar, Psalms 118, I believe Miss, is Miss Sandy, 118.27, is that right? Okay, the Bible talks about in Psalms the horns of the altar of God. Um, Brother Dennis, I believe you have 1 Kings 2 and 28, if I'm not mistaken. Could you read that for me, please?
Okay, so, so in, in two places, in Kings and in Psalms, you hear a reference to something called the horns of the altar. What are they talking about? That's what they're talking about. When you look at that picture, that's what it means. It's like taking four um, animal horns, if you will, like, and, and turn them to the outside. In the Bible days, they would be, these would be symbols of power or wrath, like a king's wrath. So when the Bible talks about that this sacrifice being tied to the horns of the altar of God, that was mentioned in, in Psalms 118. Keep in mind, like the, the sacrifice was already dead. So what, why do you need cords to hold it on if it's already dead? And, and it's basically to speak to the fact that this, re, these, uh, this sacrifice that would hold back the wrath of God from being in full force. In other words, the sacrifice of Jesus kept the wrath of God from on us. And that holding it by those cords is just speaking to it. That sacrifice is holding back, cannot be taken away, but holds back, if you will, the wrath of God against those who would not be in right relationship with him. So it's not so much about the horns holding the sacrifice. It's more about the sacrifice restraining or stopping the, the wrath of God. Does that make sense? Okay. In Kings, when, the, when they were talking about how the, the, the criminal ran to the, the church, to the, to the tabernacle or the temple, and laid hold to the horns of the altar of God, Brother Henry, what that meant was if, if a criminal could do that, it was, it was basically asking for mercy. In other words, they could, if they could just get there, nobody could touch them at that point because they had, they had come to the place of, um, it symbolized their repentance for the redirection of their life. In other words, I am, I'm sorry I have done this, and I'm running to where repentance can happen and the price can be paid, and therefore I don't have anything to pay, you know, the wrath of whoever's after me. And that's what was re the reference in 1 Kings. Once they hit the altar and hung on to the horns, it was outside of the realm for somebody to, to get to them. So that's what that is all about. The action states, if, that, if I run and grab a hold to the horns of the altar of God, this action basically is binding my life. You say, well, I'm not a criminal. Well, criminal activity, as based in the Bible would say, it is a life that would be devoted to sin and self, not to God. In other words, it's all about who? All about me. So if it's all about me, that's in contrast to it's all about God. Okay? So it symbolizes the repentance and redirection of my life. It's binding my life to the altar. It is counting myself as dead. Not dead physically, but dead how? Yeah, it's spiritually. It's laying aside me, so that I recognize there's a higher power, a higher principle for my, for my life. So wrath was restrained and mercy was given. You know, I would say this, how would the criminal know when he was in trouble? Yeah, because I mean like, 
I'm sorry? Uh, so what sent, what, what sent the red flag up that says, I, I know what I did, and you know, now I need to run, if you will, to the, to the altar to ask for mercy? What's the, what, what, what even makes them go, ooh? Okay, so it can be conscious, absolutely. I'm sorry? Having guilt of it. So I may have been caught, or maybe, I, or maybe not. Maybe, okay, is it, please don't raise your hand and say this out loud. But anybody ever been in the middle of the, I mean, in the middle of the night, and I mean, you have worn out the bed from tossing and turning because it's in your head. I mean, I just got to do something about it. Huh? Pray. What if, what if it's one more step of pray? What if I got to go clear it up? Tell me again, buddy. Absolutely, I ask God for forgiveness. And not only do I have to ask God for forgiveness, but if it's somebody that I can... Yeah, okay. It's, yeah, that's right. And it, so that there's a clear conversation. These fellows are right on with Miss Columbus. She got this crowd going now. But, um, but absolutely, gentlemen, both of you are correct. There needs to be a clear understanding and conversation about not, not generically, but what specifically happened here, right? It's easy to just ask for the blanket. Anybody know what I mean by asking for the blanket? It's easier to just ask for the blanket. Just forgive me. Okay, forgive me for what? Well, now I don't want to get into all that. Absolutely. Anything that hampers my relationship with God... Throw it away. Red flag, right? That's what he's talking about here. In one sense, the altar is the block, is the blockade, is the I'm going to run into it piece that says very clearly when we talk about how to get to God, this is a holy journey and nobody with sin in their life should try to move beyond this place. When we were in Israel, one of the things that kind of caught my attention, I mean, when you're in Israel, a little catch your attention, but we were on a bus and we, we were traveling near, the, near Jordan, like the, the country, Jordan. And um, Brother Rocky, there, was, there were these signs, like on the fence, and it, it basically very clearly spoke to, you need to stay in your vehicle on this road because if you cross this fence, it's a minefield. You, you, you didn't take a chance to go, I wonder if that's true. I mean, nobody got off that bus and said, I think I'll go over here and be sure that, you know, or just check it out. But do you know we do that with God word, God's word all the time? God's word's got, these, got, got the sign, right? Do not, blah, 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 right? But we feel like it's not dangerous to cross the line, cross the fence. Oh, that we took God's word the same way we take man's word. We think God's word is not true. We go our own. Wow. Wow. Do we do it? Sure we do. All of us do it all, all of the time. And this, this altar was the... Hey, pay attention sign, if you will. It's the blockade. Now, we'll, we're going to talk about, obviously, when Jesus came, 
I mean, you know the story. When Jesus came and the Bible said whenever um, Chris, the, the, the uh, death of Jesus and the death on the cross, that the Bible said that the veil was rent, right? And so we have now access. In other words, the sacrifice of Jesus basically, I don't want to say does away with, but satisfies that sacrifice on the brazen altar, okay? But it does not do away with the principle of sacrifice. Now, again, for those of you, we won't probably get it all done tonight, but for those of you who like to read up on stuff like this, in Leviticus, the first six or seven chapters speak about all of this. So you, you will find uh, reading opportunities there if you'd like. The Old Testament requirements say that my sin requires me to bring to the altar an offering, a sin offering or a trespass offering. And we probably we won't get to those tonight. We'll talk about those the next time we, we have class. But you can't have the... There's two offerings you cannot bypass. They're not voluntary. They're mandatory. They are required. That is the sin offering and the trespass offering. In other words, I can't get to God until I have dealt with my sin. Now, I can't fix my sin, but i got to deal with my sin before a holy God. That's, that's the principle here. And the Bible clearly speaks to when we bring an offering, they were, those offerings were not to have a spot or a blemish. Now, you'll hear those words again in the New Testament when it talks about, you know, Paul and others talk about, you know, we have to live in such a way that, that the bride of Christ has no spot, wrinkle, or blemish because we, again, you can't get to God with sin in your life or my life, right? I mean, you can't do it. It's, it's against the principles of the Word of God. And the Bible very clearly teaches that the process would be that I, I the, the sinner or I the um, Israelite, if you will, would meet the priest at the door of the tabernacle. I confess my sin to him and slay the lamb. Now, watch this. This is very important. Who slays the lamb? Yeah, the priest doesn't. Who does? I do. I do as that Israelite that comes, okay? Uh, did I get anybody to Romans 6.23? Yep, okay, Sister Bueller, can you read that one for me? Now, Paul writes this to the church at Rome, and he says the wages, the price, I mean, you call it anything you want to, right? But the, the price of sin is death. Now, that's a New Testament principle. The, the Old Testament worshiper at this point would not have known anything about Jesus the Messiah in the sense that he's going to die on the cross, the Lamb of God. They, they, don't, they don't have full understanding of that at this concept. However... They were very, very clearly made aware that if I sin, something, in this case a lamb or whatever, is going to die. Okay? It is the act of substitution. Now, obviously, God made that happen through the life of Jesus Christ, but at that juncture in the journey, they would not have recognized that like we do today. Now, Leviticus 1, 4 and, 4 and 5. I didn't give anybody Leviticus, I don't think, but if you've got your Bibles, you can run there with me really quickly. Um, but it's in 
I believe that's the scripture. Let me look real quickly and make sure I didn't misquote my own self here. Um, okay, so watch what the Bible says. Leviticus 1, 4 and 5. And the Bible's talking about whenever, you know, speak to the children of Israel and tell them this. And he says, uh, verse 3, If his offering be a burnt sacrifice of the herd, let him offer a male without blemish. He shall offer it of his own voluntary will. Right? Okay. And um, then he goes on to say in verse 4, And he shall put his hand upon the head of the burnt offering, and it shall be accepted for him to make atonement. Verse 5, And he shall kill the bullock before the Lord, and the priest Aaron's son shall bring the blood and sprinkle the blood around about upon the altar that is by the door of the tabernacle. It, it's important to understand here that there is something going to happen, and I'm going to use the word sensory overload. Let me explain. They were taught that because of their sin, an innocent party would die. Not them at this juncture, but an innocent, in this case, a lamb. Watch this. So that means, Riley could probably explain this better because I don't do the hunting thing, but she does. She was explaining to me taking down a deer one time, and I was like, oh, girl, that's kind of graphic down now. But, um, but it's the sensory overload of, number one, the, the laying hold of the animal. Now, the animal more than likely was, you know, fighting against you, especially when they realize kind of where things are headed. Um, the, the spurting of the blood, um, the feeling of the pull of the animal while that process was taking place, and then, of course, the smell of the, of the sacrifice itself. So there's a lot of sensory stuff going on here. Please understand that sin, the, pri the price of sin will have, should, I don't want to use the word give a sensory overload, but there should be, you mentioned earlier, Ms. Beulah, um, conscious or, yeah, there should be something inside of me that goes, there is an issue here. My conscience should bother me. My, my you know, there's, anybody ever had the, that in the gut feeling? Uh, does anybody even know what I'm talking about when I say that? I mean, I'm wrong, I know I'm wrong, or either I'm trying to figure out if I'm wrong, but it's that in, the, in my gut feeling. So we have to keep in mind that, you know, it, it's not like he doesn't see whoever is bringing the lamb has got to deal with an innocent party and the fact that they're working against that. And not to be graphic, but to say this, they had to look in the eyes of that thing. Now, that, that, I don't want to get too off base here, but do you understand where I'm going with that? You had, they had to look at that eyeball to eyeball, knowing that because of what I did, an innocent being is paying an ultimate price. You know, I thought about that today. The last few days I've been kind of working through this lesson. And I won't say that for anybody but me. So you, if it applies to you, by all means, grab it. But I said, God, I, I've been serving you a long time, almost 40 years now. And sometimes I still don't think I get it, Brother Mike. How big a deal is it that he died for me? Because he had no sin. 
you know, we, we would in, in uh, loose terms say, oh, he took the hit for me. Ha ha. They know ha ha. He, Brother Rocky, if I really understood what all that really means, if I really understood what sin means and the fact that he, he as an innocent party willingly took the shame, the disgrace, the every, when we think about it, don't we? And we've got all these good church songs, right? Sounds good. He became Israel by righteousness, blah, blah, blah. He, da, 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 da. Well, all that sounds great, but if I really grabbed a hold of that, that thing would make me sick to my stomach. That thing would be all up in my grill because there was a price made on my sin that I never paid. You know, I, what is the song? Um, I owed a debt I could not pay. You know what I'm talking about? Okay. So in Genesis, the, Genesis 2 and 17, the Bible says of the tree of, of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it. This is God talking to who? Adam and Eve, right? He said, for in that day, watch this, in that day that thou eatest thereof, this is God. God says, when you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, on that day, starting that day, when you do that, God said, thou shalt surely die. There's only one problem with that. We talked about it a minute last week, but they didn't. So that means God lied. Well, maybe, and, and absolutely yes, but that's still not all the way. There is more. Prior to that, when would man have died? You mean man would have been eternal if they'd have never eaten of that off of that tree? Of course, thank you, Brother Rocky. That's my thing. Whether I think it is or not, according to the Bible, as was it. But but the thing is this. So absolutely, Brother James, you are spot on. At that moment, there was a, there was the beginning of a spiritual death. There was also the beginning of a physical death because prior to that, they wouldn't have died. I, I don't know what the mean age is now. But, I don't know, at some point, it's probably in the 70s or 80s, you know how you average lifespan of people. You know, back then, some of them lived to be, you know, like 400 years old, 400 years or something. Like, they having children at 100. I don't feel that. They don't, they ain't, ain't happening here, boys. But, but, but you see what I'm saying? But then we get, to, we get to the point where that we have to understand, not only there is a spiritual death, but, but it changed things on the earth even. They, you know, the briars and the, the Bible said they cursed, you know, God cursed the land, you know, because Adam's going to have to do all the, the um, work in the land and all that kind of stuff. So watch this. Go with me um, to Genesis, the third chapter, because I, I do want you to, and you've heard this, so I'm sure this is nothing new to you, but I do want to make sure we get this concept. Go to Genesis, the third chapter, and I believe it will be in verse number two. I'm not mistaken, two or three, but let's see. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field that the Lord God had made, and he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. Okay. And the woman said to the serpent, Well, well we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. 
And the serpent said to the woman, You shall not surely die, for God knows that in the day you eat thereof, then your eyes will be opened, and you shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. But is that what God said? No, it's not what God said. The serpent said that. But what God said, what God said when all this got started was not to eat of the fruit of the tree because you, if you eat of it, you would die. Where did the part come into play where you can't touch it? That's not there. So of a note, so now Eve has added to God's word and the serpent has basically taken away or distorted God's word because he goes on to say, oh, God didn't say that. Do we do that today? Do people do that today? We add to what God's word says, right? But, and, and on the flip of that, there are people who take away or distort. Now, God really, I mean, he didn't really mean that. What he really meant was, I think we talked about this in Sunday school this morning, about the fact that, you know, there is no private interpretation of the Bible. It, the Bible is what the Bible says. Yeah, absolutely. Now, the Bible says that we are to study so we know what the Bible says, not just read it off the cuff, off the top, and not pay attention, right? But the point being here that God did say that if they ate of it, that they would have died, and yet they didn't die. So now it almost, in one sense, looks like God told story, and that's not true. So now go to Genesis, the third chapter, and verse 21, where the Bible says, Unto Adam and to his wife did the Lord God make coat, a coat of skins and clothe them. So now we have been introduced, not in God telling something that wasn't true. Now we're at a place where God has introduced, because of the fall, God has introduced the concept of sacrifice that it will take to cover the, the nakedness, the sinfulness, whatever, however you want to describe it, of man. And again, that's in Genesis 31. Prior to that moment, no sacrifice was made. No skins had to be taken. Okay? So now we come into a place where we need to understand about God's grace and God's mercy. For example, God, in his act of mercy, God suspends the sentence of physical death. He doesn't do away with it. Listen to me carefully. God does not do, did not do away with it. He suspended it under his umbrella of mercy. Okay? They died. They did die. They did die. Out of his mercy, he gave them the opportunity to live for a period of time under his covering. He, if you go back and look, Adam didn't, didn't go grab the skins. Who did? God did. God provided himself a lamb. That's where that principle comes from. The Bible says for the first time, Adam would have seen something die. He'd never seen anything die before that. Only then did he see that. At that point, there was a cost. Once that sin took place, there was a cost. You know, I, I thought about this today. Man's, no, man's physical death was spared at that point. 
but he wasn't totally exempt. You know, it would, it would come later. Man would always, now watch this, man would always be one step, one breath, one heartbeat away from the effects of sin, death. One heartbeat, one breath. When the last breath goes up, we pronounce you dead, right? Especially heartbeat more so than, than breath, but right? No more life. I thought about this today. So what's the cost? So we talk about the cost of, um, of the, uh, of the you know, it cost the lamb. I mean, that wasn't, back in that day, it wasn't so much about money. It's about what you owned, right? So every time they brought something, Brother Henry, it cost them something. So when God pro provided or showed them the way that there would now be this opportunity for, for covering, it, it did not do away with death. It did not say that what God said wasn't true. But I, I thought about this today. What was the cost of the prodigal son to return home? Okay, wait a minute. So let me, let me go there and come back. I'm sorry? Okay, for the prodigal, it cost him everything, right? I mean, not just his, he'd already squandered all his money, right? But, it, but I mean, he had to humble himself enough to go back and say, and he had to go back and say, I, hey, Dad, I did wrong, right? I mean, he didn't just go beating up on the door and say, just letting you know I'm back. What's, what's next, right? He didn't do that. So what was... They did. They did. Once again, there was another... Right. And how much did the daddy pay? This, this was my thought today. I don't know, whatever. But the Bible says basically that when the young man asked for his right, you know, his part, daddy gave it to him. So what, daddy was still living. What I'm trying to say is at this juncture, daddy owned it. It was in daddy's name. He signed off his, his, his right to the son, and the son squandered it. So basically, daddy lost a third of his, what he owned, right? It didn't just cost the son. It didn't just cost the calf. It cost the daddy. It cost God. How you figure? Because it costed Jesus. Yes? Okay. What does it mean, what is the cost, and Brother, Brother Dennis is hitting on it, but what is the cost when we talk about what it means to lay down my life for Jesus Christ? I go back to the living sacrifice that, that Miss Beulah was talking about. What does that even mean? What is the cost for me to lay down my life? Okay, to give up our wants. Yeah, but I want what I want. Okay, if I do what now, Brother Randy? Okay, if I volunteer... Okay, but Randy says if I voluntarily turn it over, I give it back, right? It's not mine anymore. Well, how is it that we... We don't... Well, do we do that? See, if I want what I want, I'm going to do what I want to... And if I want to do what I want to do, and I do it my way, 
I'm sorry? Yeah. If I do it my way, I don't need to, next week the gentleman, they got it. rest of us are messing up, but they got it. When I do it my way, I'm not doing it God's way, baby. When I'm doing it my way. And, and the thing is this. It has to cost me what? Everything. We don't want, I'm sorry. You know, we try to teach children, don't be selfish, don't we? I mean, I try to teach mine that way, right? Don't be selfish, share, you know, get along, blah, blah, blah. But we don't do that very well as adults, Christians, huh? We don't do it very well. And the whole catch is this. The Bible said Jesus became sin who knew no sin that we might become the righteousness of God. The cost for me to lay down my life says I am willing even though it doesn't suit my fancy but God's word says for me to do it this way. We talked about it last week. When I don't feel like forgiving, God asked me to do what? How many times do I have to forgive? I don't know. You don't want to get into that. That's a whole other conversation up in there, right? But to lay down my wants for the benefit of another is what it means to be a living sacrifice. I do what I do, not for me. Somebody asked me that not too long ago, and they said, why, do you do that? why did you do so-and-so and so-and-so? And I said, because that's what God asked me to do. And they said, well, you know, I mean, I wouldn't have done that. And I said, well, I can't help what you would have done. That's between you and God. Now, I, I, that's, that's just the way God told me to handle it. Right? So it, it, it's kind of the deal of, I, I don't totally understand this because I'm not a single mom. I, you know, I, we, had, we had a whole household here and everybody worked, including Jonathan. So, I mean, I, I don't know. But, you know, Chick-fil-A was a blessing in, in his earlier life. He didn't think so, but I thought it was a great blessing. Helped him buy a car because I wasn't going to do it. And his daddy wasn't going to do it, so that means he had to do it, right? But, but I mean, we, you know, work, work is not a bad thing. Work is a good thing. But I, I was thinking about this today, a single mom, what would it look like when you've got, for example, a single mom who's working multiple jobs to help cover her children, right? So I'm just th thinking this, I'm not saying this is how you think, but this is the way it crossed in my mind. If these women often, and it could be a man, so I'm not trying to say that that can't be true of a single dad either, but generally we talk about that where single moms are concerned. But they generally work more than one job and often at, at times that their children are maybe taken care of. For example, they may work a night shift job because that way, I'm making this up, my next door neighbor, Sister Nina, can make sure my children are okay. They sleep at her house, you know what I'm saying? But I'm back the next morning and I make sure my kids get up and go to school and then maybe I catch those few hours of sleep, um, Sister Sherry, but you know, I got... I got another little short job I catch before the kids get home. And, but you see where I'm going? So that sacrifice that is made, I, they make sure those kids have clothes before she got clothes. The, she eats the chicken back, not the chicken breast. Now, I didn't grow up in that era. Maybe some of you with the white cotton on your head did, where, you know, the mama of the family had 12 youngins to feed and they had one chicken, and so they cut it up in 42 parts, and, you know, everybody had whatever their piece was. I, my, I remember my grandma, the only reason I say that, I remember my grandma bringing that up. I didn't have it that hard, so I'm not going to try to tell that. Jonathan would tell you, 
that, you know, all my stories were I walked to school backwards with no shoes and, you know, and all that kind of stuff. I didn't really tell him that, but, um, but they, you know, they would often talk about that, Sister Gula, where, you know, everybody ate all, the, but the parents would eat the pieces nobody else would eat because they would feed them, make sure those children had what they needed. That's love. Because I also know some people that they took, they did first and their kids got what was left. You know, that spoke volumes. There's been some, there's been some birth mamas who weren't mamas. I mean, they were birth mothers or whatever. There's been some, do y'all understand what I'm saying or am I talking over somebody's head? I, I, I don't mean that as a slam. I'm trying to make the point of use an illustration of living sacrifices do not for themselves, but for the betterment of others that they love dearly. My love for God will speak volumes by how I behave. I don't, I, this probably won't, I don't know if this will make sense. But I, I don't know how to explain it any other way. Somebody asked me one time, you know, I, I don't apologize per se for the way I was reared. You know, I was, I was raised in, in a lot of people's eyes very old school. And if you don't know what that means, it's okay. I'll just finish my analogy and move on. But, and, and they said, and, you know, all, all of my growing up years, all of my married life, I didn't get saved until I was, a, you know, a, a woman, grown woman. I was in college. But I've had people say to me over the years, well, why do you do so-and-so? And, and even after I got married, they would ask us when we were pastoring, why, do, why don't y'all do so-and-so? Is it wrong? And in and, and, and all fairness to pastor, he would say, it, it's not that I'm telling you it's wrong, but we chose to not do it because we didn't want to be a stumbling block to somebody who maybe for them that could lead them down the wrong path. So that, that doesn't mean we're sending anybody to torment over anything. But it was just the point of saying we chose to do that because we love God and them enough that, Brother Henry, we didn't want to cause somebody to stumble. You know, I've been asked about my dress, you know, my attire. I've been asked about my business practices. I've been asked about, you know, my hair. You know, do you wear jewelry? Do you don't wear jewelry? I mean, you know, all that kind of stuff for all these years. And my response has always been the same. The Bible says I work out my own salvation with fear and trembling, right? But the Bible also says for me not to be a stumbling block to my brother. And, and because of maybe my position, and I don't mean my position just in church. I'm talking about even at work. I mean, I was asked to do some things at work and that, you know, kind of on the iffy side. And, and some of them kind of got me in a little bit of a tight spot especially when I had authority because, you know, they wanted me to do a certain thing, and I was like, I can't do that. And it, it got a little little hairy up in there. Thank, thank the Lord he's always taken good care of me, and I didn't have to, you know. I, I say all that to say this. Being a living sacrifice means it's not always that what I do or don't do is wrong or right. Sometimes we do what we do as a reasonable baseline sacrifice. Even maybe it is a sacrifice for me because, you know, to be honest with you, Brother Mike, I don't really see anything wrong with it. I, I mean, I kind of like to do it, but I don't do it because, again, I don't want somebody else to stumble. 
So you know what? I'm going to have to pass on this one. You know what I mean? But being a, now that doesn't make, that's a reasonable service. That's not a, oh, you, you're holier than thou person. That's for anybody. That doesn't got to do anything with denomination or what you, you know what I'm saying? But it's a reasonable thing. It's a, I do what I do because God asked me to do it that way. That's what it means to have a cost attached to that. Jesus did not die from the wounds on the cross. How do you know that? Well, a couple things. Number one, I mean, he could have called down, what did he say, legions of angels? You know what he said? I call down legions of angels, take care of all y'all in one swipe. Done. Just, I call it grease spot. Y'all ought to hear it. Y'all need to go watch my movies. I make great movies. In my movies, they're a little bit, I mean, I'm all about the word, and so I don't like to veer off of that too much, but in my movies, I take extra liberties. Like in, in 10,000 Angels, in my movie, he looks at him and says, I can make a grease spot out of about 10,000 of you right now, but I'm not. <laughs> okay, it's my movie, right? Because I, I, I'm, I'm pretty King James, but in a movie, you know what I'm saying? Take a little liberty. But he could have, but he didn't. He didn't do that. But he did not die from wounds from the cross. He didn't die from the, from the spear. He died from the toxicity of sin. Because if you will remember in that whole conversation, in that whole analogy, the Bible said at that juncture in Jesus on the cross that the Father had to turn, turn from him. Because it wasn't that he couldn't look on Jesus. God was a holy God. He, could, he, did, he wouldn't look on the sin. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Because Jesus knew the moment that God had to turn his face. And the toxicity of sin sealed the fate. That was the price. That was the price. Oh, that we, forget you. Oh, that I get the concept of that. How would I feel? Put yourself in these shoes. How would you feel if you go out here tonight and, and you, you go to pull out in the, on Highway 52 and you realize you left something at church? You just made the swing. You know what I'm saying? Like you went out that one and came in the driveway. And just as you were pulling around and you stopped and parked your car, just pull, put it in gear to come in, and somebody else came flying around the church and did not see you, and somebody in this church saw it. You didn't, but they saw it, and they pushed you out of the way, and they got it, and they died. It could have been you, but Colton took the hit. What would we, oh, we pray, oh, Colton, you know, how wonderful Colton took the hit, right? Did that bring Colton back? No. But if it were me, what I go back to that sensory thing, you know, about when you slay the animal or whatever. That sensory thing. How would I feel if I walked in this church three days later and Colton were right there and I knew that one should have been me. But he cared enough. He, I mean, I, I know Colton. I mean, 
not like that. But he cared enough for me not to be hurt, for something not to happen to me. And Brother Randy, he, he pushed me out of harm's way, and he took the hit. How would I feel? How should I feel understanding Jesus did that for me for eternity? I'm sorry? Well, and, and the thing is, there has to be a reconciliation. God doesn't, not, doesn't want us to live in guilt, okay? But there has to be a reconciliation of how big a deal. Do we treat God, do we treat Jesus with, with the love and respect of understanding what he has done for us? I have to tell you, I don't. I've been doing this 40 years, and every day, I, every day, I wake up and go, God, help me today because I don't know if I got it yet. I don't know if I'll ever get it, but you know what I mean? I'm trying. And, and the thing is, I need, I need to understand what he's done for me. You know what the problem is? Really? We don't choose to understand what he's done for us because we're selfish people. As long as I get what I want and I, he does what I need, then okay, I'll serve him on my terms but when he doesn't do what I want and it doesn't go my way and it's inconvenience in my life and I mean this is just over the top I don't know where y'all get this stuff but this is just over the top so I you know you do it your way I'll do it my way when we do those things what have we really said what message did I give on the billboard of my life I mean, none of us are going to go around and say that now, Miss Beulah. You know we not. Ain't nobody in this church going to go around and say, I know what you're saying, but that's what, is that how we live? I mean, in general. I mean, I'm not picking on individuals. I'm just saying in general. Isn't that how we live? We live like we say to God and anybody who's looking. So? Ooh, that's loaded. What we go, Beulah says, where are we going to be when we stand in front of him? Whoa. You know, I have, been, I have been accused for years of saying all I do is teach law. Everybody else teaches grace. I, I don't mean to bring it across that way, but I, I do think it's important that we understand. It's kind of like saying, if you never correct your children, you know what they're going to be when they grow up? Horrible employees. Because they've been taught that what I want Brianna met four of them recently. Just kidding. But you know what I'm talking about. But, but people who are born from families who, who, dis, who teach work ethic and, and et cetera, that's a different story. We live our spiritual lives like spoiled brats in general. And, and it says, Miss Buell, you are absolutely spot on. It says, I don't care. I do what I want to do. And you know what? You can in this life. You certainly can in this average of 72 or 75 years or whatever it ends up being. But what's going to happen? What's going to happen? There's going to come a reckoning day. And I get to choose. Pastor preached on this this morning. I think if I'm not mistaken, it was his last point. We get to make the decision. Do we not? 
we get to decide whether I'm 7, 8, 20, whatever I am, or I'm 60, or I'm whatever, or older. I was being polite. Or older. I get to choose what I want to do every day. You are spot on, little man. I say by what I live every day. Do you know what? Your family knows every day just like mine does. My family knows whether I love them or not. Every day. It doesn't matter what I say or do. They know. I can say one thing, but they can. I'm talking about me now. I'm not talking about you. I don't know what you're talking about me. But they know. God knows. God knows every day if I'm willing to have to live on a brazen altar of sacrifice, if I'm willing to sacrifice what I feel, what I think, how I want to live, the price that is paid in my life. He died from the toxicity of my sin. Death is a reminder that sin has a price. Because prior to... Let me, let me finish with this and then we'll, we'll stop for this evening. Let me ask you this question. The illusion is, because of, of, of the death of Jesus, right? The illusion is sin has no price, has no effect. Sin does not bring death. But what we must understand is sin will bring into my life a toxic di disease that will inflict pain will cause me to be a taker and not a giver, will cause me to be one who can be distrusted. Let me say it this way. Every lie I tell, okay, I won't, I'm not going to pick on the, I don't know if y'all believe in this or not, but a lot of people believe big sin, little sin. You know, like in the book of Galatians, you know, you got the whole list, something like Gossipers are in, tied in there with fornication and adultery and dissension and, you know, if you actually study that out, people who cause ruckuses in churches are just as bad as, as people who commit adultery who are just as bad as people who lie. What is a lie? I'm sorry? A lie is an untruth. How much of an untruth? Huh? Wait a minute. Somebody in the back says, what? What do you mean it doesn't matter? Come on, I didn't tell a big one now. Cut me some slack, Tana. You, you, you're killing me here. Tana's into this. If, I mean, even if, if it's off, you know, just. Come on now, Tana. You, you know, God's a God of grace. Get off of it. Right? Right? Don't you think so? That's what we think. So let me read these for you. And like I said, we need to lay in the plan. Every lie, every sin will bring forth some kind of death. You know, okay, so watch this. Every lie I tell, whether the ones I get caught at or the ones I don't. I mean, because adults don't lie, only children do. So we should only let this little group over here hear this because everybody else doesn't lie. How come y'all laughing? <laughs> well, all right then. Well, there you go. That sounds like a man who's heard that somewhere before, right? Every lie brings death 
of my credibility. What does that mean? What does that mean? Every lie I tell brings death to my credibility. What does that mean? I can't be trusted. Yeah, but it wasn't a big lie, Mama. You ever heard that one? I, it was what? Yeah, it was a white lie. Well, I mean, I just didn't. Well, yeah, Mom, it was. But, you know, it was sort of, kind of. Well, I mean, it wasn't exactly like that. Anybody ever done that one? If it wasn't exactly like that, actually, it was more like, and they're looking at you because you know they know. You know, I, I, used to, I used to tell my Sunday school class this, and they believed it. And, and it really was true in the sense of God would tell me things. But my, son, my first Sunday school class thought I had this 72-inch um, flat screen TV in my prayer closet because on Sunday I could teach on what they would have been doing all week. And, and they would say something, and I would say, well, I mean, how'd you know that? That's how they go. And they get right up in my face. How'd you even know that? My mama been talking to you. I ain't talking to your mama. I didn't have a cell phone back then. You know, I ain't talking to your mama. But you, God told you that? Well, yeah. I mean, I was praying about it, and that's kind of what it felt like, you know, my heart. And they really did. It was like, you have a TV in your prayer closet. I said, that's for me to know and you to figure out, right? Every lie is the death, brings death to my credibility. Here's one for us. Um, let's see, where's that at? Uh, let me read this real quick. Uh, let, uh, Galatians, I think it's Galatians 5 and 9, wasn't it? Yeah, read that one for me. Little leaven will mess up the whole, okay, every, listen now, every loose word, every loose word brings death of my godly influence. What is a loose word? I'm sorry? It could be a lie, and it may not even be, but it may not be. It could be a criticism. That could be one. Exa I'm sorry? An exaggeration. It could be. What else? Yes, all of these are right. Any more? A loose word. What's a loose word? Okay, so criticism, etc. It can be a word, a slang word, a word that's kind of, it's not off color, but it's kind of off color, but it's kind of, Okay, I got three minutes. Honest confession. And you're free to judge me. It's really okay. But it, it, it's the only way I know how to explain it. I cannot explain to you what it does to me to be in a conversation that gets loose especially when it has to do with inappropriate things. Now, I'm not talking somebody used colorful, like, you know, I'm just talking about loose lips, especially if they call themselves a Christian. I, I, I have to ask God to help me because it literally grieves, my, it makes me sick. I mean, it, it makes my stomach hurt. And so I asked God, God, help me to know how to handle it because I don't want to be 
holier than thou and be calling people out because number one, that's not my place nor my call. But, and I try to teach, you know, what the Bible says, don't add front to it, take it away, you know, etc. Brother Henry, I've had to recently um, turn the volume of my computer to off in meetings because I knew I had to be on the meeting but I didn't want to hear what the conversation was that were happening because it was shop talk. And it wasn't supposed to be shop talk. It was supposed to be a meeting, right? Work meeting. I have been in Christ I have been at church. I've been in, in places with Christians who carry on conversations. And I thought if a sinner were sitting in this place right now, they would be asking, why would you be talking like that? And they do that not just in front of adults. They do that in front of children. And so children think it's okay. I don't want to elaborate on this. And like I said, I need to end this. But I, I, I was reading this the other day, and I, I don't know what to do with it. So I'll let you take it home. I won't elaborate. You go home and study the god Molech, M-O-L-E-C-H. And you go home and, and read about what was sacrificed to that God. And here's my question. How do people do that today? Because they do it all the time. And, and I just bring that up to say this. And I hope you hear my heart. Not, not in a hard or harsh way. God holds me accountable for every idle word every idle action and not only does it will bring death it can bring me spiritual death but it can crucify my influence with other people every picture every word I don't have it in my pocket but it how many of you have a, a phone like a cell phone if you got it can you raise your I mean raise your phone don't raise your hand raise your phone Raise your phone. Everybody, raise your phone. Every, every picture, every word. When you see, it's, tell me if I'm wrong, medically, it stamps in my brain. A brain is what? It's like a filing cabinet. Yeah? It, but is that not true? That's what they teach us in medical. Yeah. It, 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 stamps, it stamps in my, fi in my file, right? And, and it'll, it, it stays in my file drawer, right? That's why we have to be so careful. What we let come in to us. A living sacrifice, I'm not saying that there won't sometimes something. I'm just saying, don't go asking for it. Because the sacrifice that Jesus paid, every little sin is not a little sin. You with me? Now, it won't be next week because I know we're, we got CLM, but the following week we'll talk about the actual sacrifices. There's five of them. And, and I hope you got something out of this. Please don't, I hope you don't hear this as a negative. But guys, I'm telling you, I don't know how to say it any more strongly 
God expects us to get ourselves on that spiritual altar every single day. Because if I don't crucify, what does the Bible say? Crucify the whose flesh? Well, if I talk to Sister Beulah or I talk to Brother James or I talk to what it's their flesh. They need to get their flesh under subjection. Right? I'm not talking to anybody else. Who am I talking to? Father, help us today hear your voice. As Pastor often says, God, don't let them hear my voice. Don't hear my words. God, let us all, all, us, not them, us, let all of us hear what your word has to say to us about being a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is our reasonable service. Thank you for our time together at the table of the Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Oh, do we need to pray for food? All right. So, Brantley, can you, can you pray for the blessing over the food for me? All right. Would you stand up and do that for us, sir? Man, all right, I'm assuming we just go that way. Yeah, you mean for the poles to go through?